welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about, for, and by women in the field. I'm Emily Long, and I'm joined by Kirsten Lopez. On this episode, we're going to talk about some fun stuff to begin with, so some podcast books, and then mostly focus on exciting changes in the field, um, some news, some top 10 finds, a whole bunch of cool stuff that we have seen coming up. Kirsten, I'm so glad we can talk about this stuff today. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I think uh, there, you know, we'll we'll take some adventures one way um, and another. But yes, starting with some fun light reading. Uh, we have an upcoming interview here in a bit, and so that book has been fun to dive into. Oh my gosh, um, yes! It's called Sins of the Shovel. We get to talk to the author. We're very excited about that. Yes, yeah, so that's been that's been one of my uh, my most recent exciting fun dives uh, for books. Um, another one that I had purchased a while ago, but hadn't actually gotten a chance to read that I've been slowly plunking away at over this last year um, and more because I just haven't had a whole lot of time to sit uh, and read a whole lot is Schiffer's Archaeology's Footprints in the Modern World. Um oh. So that's a book that he kind of, um, so those who aren't um, archaeologists, Schiffer is uh, one of the archaeologists that in undergrad and in grad school, generally people learn about. Uh, He Mm -hmm. created a lot of the concepts in the new archaeology that people usually use. Um, Not, you know, he's not the, the premier person, but he's someone that people generally read about. And he basically surveys uh, a lot of the impacts that archaeology as a, um, as a science has brought to the greater public and to um, sort of common knowledge about humanity and how we've done things to change how people think about Mm -hmm. our history as humans and how we've impacted um, things such as the concepts uh, of racism or general history, deep history. Um, And obviously there's lots of strands in popular culture that, that kind of push back or counter that, but it, I feel like is a really good reminder for those of us professionals that can sometimes get a little glazed over or burn mm-hmm. out feeling. So it's like, okay, we do do important things. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic and a really good book. And yes, Schiffer is great. And you make me blush a little bit. It's like the book I'm going to bring up is a romance novel <laughs> <I read. laughs> <All right. laughs> that um, I saw on a like new book section at the library. It was like, I have to read this. And it's called Raiders of the Lost Heart. Haha, <laughs> but um for Indiana Jones fans out there. And it's by uh Joe Segura. And of course, it's about archaeologists. And yes, there's a lot of like far-fetched stuff in the book, but she actually did a really good job like setting up like how they do things with historical evidence and documentation to try to find things in Mexico and how you need to set up a dig and grid systems. And I was like, wow, it, she did her research as a non-archaeologist is pretty great. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So it was very fun. Um, there's definitely parts like there's a whole thing where like the two main archaeologists, they, they get it on and the uh, 
in this like camp context of an excavation, they're like, nobody will find out. I'm like, oh, honey, everybody <laughs> knows everything on an excavation. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I thought that was pretty fun. Um, that is pretty fun. Yeah, I was, I was delighted by by the book even though there were parts where like how did this not get on radars for like antiquities issues and all but yeah i digress um it's like this is why archaeologists shouldn't read you know fictional accounts of archaeologists (laughs) um pop culture exactly but in terms of uh other fun stuff encountering um i've been listening to these two wonderful podcasts that uh occasionally have more archaeology based stuff um mostly historical context but they're just so good that i had to bring them up and one is called betwixt the sheets with dr kate lister and it's talking about um like prehistoric and ancient sex like how did that even come to be a thing for the earliest um hominids like not even just hominids or hominins it's like the earliest blobs like how did sex become a thing <laughs> you know um and then it, all the way to talking about royals and um you know witch hunts and all this stuff um about uh that's found in the past and it's mostly uk centric it is a, a a british podcast but it's very good and then there's a great podcast um by an uh, irish um uh woman dr katie uh charwood it's either charwood or charwood um and it's called who did what now and she talks about misinformation myths uh propaganda and dispelling them which is always you know one of our favorite topics is dispelling misconceptions and stuff about the field and um she calls out like the whole issues with great men in history so like talking about how charles dickens was actually like a major jerk face um and all this stuff and she's just delightful so i highly recommend those podcasts highly recommend the romance book and obviously highly recommend schiffer's books they're fantastic (laughs) (laughs) a little chewy sometimes but this is i i don't know if it's his first pop culture book it's through the university of utah but it's it's easy to read it's for non-archaeologists um in in aim um but i think in the end it just becomes a nice popcorn read for professionals mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's a pretty fun one yeah I, re- I i enjoy his books a lot i'll have to check that one out as well and so um were there any other things you were hoping to bring up in terms of just fun things we're encountering in history and archaeology themed things um one really fun thing that is somewhat tangential but definitely has to do with pop culture and history type things um, so we will just say a show that will not be named, um, <laughs> because there's a lot of these that this could apply to, but there's one in particular of late that's gotten a lot of time on Netflix, oh, um, yes. that the SAA did release a letter, um, the Society for American Archaeology. Yes. Yeah, Society for American Archaeology did release a letter. They've been doing this bet better at doing that. Um, actually writing letters to the, um, to the folks at Mm -hmm. the, um, my brain keeps thinking publishing. I haven't had my caffeine yet today. Um, no worries to, um, like the organizations for Netflix, Prime, uh, all the different streaming shows. Yeah. Um, specifically as well. Um, and just how the show should not be advertised as history, uh, due to the fact that it involves the it it's a 
um, Hancock's, Graham Hancock's work, yes. um, which is entirely fictional and um, racist. Like, I mean, there's, yes, racist with a capital R for sure, um, conspiratorial and also subverts, you know, the work that we do um, and really creates a lot of just, I don't even know how to explain it, but any, it's like, I can't even think of one. It's, it's, it's like, it's just not bad. even the, the archaeologists don't dig dinosaurs. It's like, it's like people. Joe Rogan's claptrap about archaeology and how they're constantly giving <sighs> this information and just, yeah. or like, or the alt-right using archaeological stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, horrible horrible information that's typically used for extremely negative purposes that um you know dehumanizes indigenous peoples um yes. oh, it's just so bad and really kind of pushes those like i mean the aliens guy on the history channel Ugh. was disgusting but also kind of hilarious because he was so it's so bad so bad <laughs> But people take Hancock's work seriously, and that's the troubling part um, and why I think um, the essay pushed back so hard on that. So that's, mm -hmm. it, like, you know, brings some some hope. It probably won't do anything in the scheme of things, but um, it's nice to see that there's something that they're trying to do to bring that to light, although part of me is like, I'm sure they're aware. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it's unfortunate because it's it's just that kind of like the, it's not even popular archaeology. It's just like popular media using archaeology and they know it sounds sexy. So that's what they're going to do. Yeah. And to be frank, like what you, Chelsea, and I do isn't <laughs> necessarily like, ooh. Yeah, I'm gonna sit true. down and listen to the women in archaeology. Oh my, this stuff is so fascinating. I'm like, we think we're fascinating, <laughs> but maybe not everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, there. I've had a few people um, to comment or find, like, I don't know if you've had like the. Are you that person from that <laughs> podcast? Like, yeah, that's me. I'm like, oh, that's really great. We've been listening to it. It's like, I did like a um, a pickup drop off a number of years back for some artifacts um, within oh, different fun. branches of the company, and I met the people, and they're like, "So we've been listening to this podcast on the way, like, and I recognized your name. Is that this? Is that you?" I'm like, yeah. It's like, oh, it's really awesome. Yeah, we've been listening to like <laughs> for I think it was like a six hour drive. Oh my gosh. And like, Okay, well, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> wow, that's really, that's so nice. Really fun to run into um, <laughs> random archaeologists because yeah. it's usually like technicians and mm -hmm. um, like students and stuff that will run across it because they're just eager for more content a lot of mm -hmm. the times. See, and listeners, we are we are cooler than Netflix and aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know. I'm, that's we know, do what we can we do what we can we do what we can we are but three women so that is true <laughs> although that is a good shout out hey are you an archaeologist and want to join us join us join us <laughs> <laughs> but um 
but uh we are uh you know we have a lot of fun but yeah i'm always hoping that there will be more content put out there in general that catches the imagination for even though you know non-archaeologists and hopefully push away more from the uh ancient aliens and you know, Hancock's work. Like there was a, a a good documentary. I wouldn't say it was great. A good documentary about the rising um, star cave on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that, was, that was a good one. And granted, there were some theories in there where they talk about, oh, this clearly shows like this burial and burial context has art. And there was all this stuff that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of years before what's typically thought. And I mean, it's it's a very circumstantial, but it's, it's a, still a good documentary. So there are good ones on Netflix, but maybe not as popular as Hancock. So it's like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Don't watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a good thing to, to bring up there. There are some good ones out there and ways that you can vet something that's quality. Mm-hmm. Um, is to kind of look up the topic yes. and see what, what comes up. Um, some things to look out for is dismissing or assigning a different people to the construction or design of um, architectural uh, feats. So things that mm-hmm. are early or that are in some form magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, early temples such as Gobliaki. Uh, Tepe, there's uh, the um, temples on Malta, um, all of the pyramids, especially Mm -hmm. the ones in Mesoamerica. These are all, and then the mound builders in Cahokia and elsewhere in uh, North America often get dismissed and reassigned to other cultures. And this is what's traditionally you know, I'm putting that in quotes traditionally um, thought of as, you know, Caucasian cultures. Yes. So this is something that if you're looking for quality shows, those are really big red flags. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's reassigning it to the Phoenicians or the Egyptians or the lost tribes of Israel or aliens. Mm -hmm. This is basically all uh, the pattern is that it's dismissing the ability of the people that are there and mm-hmm. that they their humanity in a lot of ways so um this is where if you are kind of new to looking for good quality content and wanting to to dig in more into archaeology um those are some some things to to watch out for mm-hmm. some signs of quality um do you have anything that you like to watch out for emily um, I mean, I, the hard thing is, it's like, we know a lot of the names in the field. So what's tricky is knowing, like, so pretty much with anything with like Sarah Parkak, like Dr. Sarah Parkak, she's incredible. And so like stuff that pops up on Netflix for her and doing the quote unquote space archaeology, I'm like, ooh, that's cool. Or National Geographic tends to be pretty quality. And so yeah. I, looking for stuff like, instead of something that's like, mysterious monuments will just be like monuments to the past you know it's the yes i guess the those big words um even though there's on um disney and they have the national geographic side of it i did deep dives when i was on maternity leave um on the different national geographic shows and granted they use the words you know like mysterious and all this stuff but it's still 
good. And so, like, they'll go into, like, mysterious Mayan ruins and stuff. But then they're actually talking to the leading experts in the field. Yeah. And so maybe terminology, like, leading expert, um, doctor so-and-so, you know, that type of thing. I don't know. What do you think for some good catchphrases to look for? I think um, anything with, I mean... (laughs) That's where it's like, it's easy to disqualify, but harder to qualify, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah, more simple language. Um, some things would be looking for um, organizations that have sponsored or co-sponsored. There's a mm-hmm. lot of content out there that is good. Um, there's actually a conference in Eugene and Oregon. I think it's every two years. Um, that is the... International Archaeological Film Festival. Ooh, that and would be fun. Yeah, so that was really cool. We were invited, and I spoke <clears throat> there on behalf of Women in Archaeology back in 2018, I want to say. Oh, yes. Man, time so, flies. Yeah, and it was. I was pretty impressed. I mean, so it's an older archaeologist um, from Oregon who has um, runs this society basically and does a lot of outreach and his work is finding good quality material so one thing that you can do is to look up um uh, the archaeology channel uh, is what it's called the archaeology channel has a wonderful podcast yes so they have a great podcast they have a good i think even radio material like Mm -hmm. it's it's you know before podcasts were a thing they've had audio material for a while what is this Um, thing you call radio (laughs) yeah right (laughs) um and they have shows and movie lists and things places you can find them so there's um they screen stuff all over if you're ever in the eugene oregon area or wish to attend um they actually screen um a number of these films um, at the conference, which is pretty cool, but they do have several categories. So you can look up, um, what, you know, who the runners up are, um, cause it's a conference, but it's also kind of an awards sort of thing. Ooh. Um, so they will have like, you know, the best content, best visualizations, um, you know, most groundbreaking stuff like that. So it's, it's really, really cool. And, um, the archeologist Richard Pettigrew is an old timer in the Oregon and Northwest. Um, it's like, I know that name. Here. Yeah. And he's a really sweet Renfrew guy. Renfrew and Pettigrew. Yes. He is very passionate about um, getting people to see uh, real archaeology for what it is. So mm-hmm. he has some good content. Um, but things sponsored by like National Geographic, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Archaeological Institute, um, AIA, mm-hmm. uh, or American Institute of Archaeology. I always forget what the AIA. I think it, oh gosh, something the like Association that, of International Archaeology. Yeah, I'm like, the AIA, it's like their stamp or their symbols, like a little owl. Uh, yes. But they do a lot of like classicists uh, stuff, but they will sometimes sponsor um, or be partnered with mm-hmm. uh, some media material. Um, smaller organizations, uh, there may be 
films or documentaries, uh, things like the BBC and I think, I can't remember, I think it was through um, PBS was the um, archaeology shows, like TV show. Mm, oh, like Time Team America. Time Team, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Time Team America and the original Time Team out of the UK. Um, both have really good content. So, oh my gosh, they are so good. And um, you can, if you have Prime, you can watch all of Time Team, uh, the UK version, and then PBS. Um, you might have to get PBS Passport, but uh, for a while there, you could watch most of Time Team America on YouTube and on PBS nice. for free. Yes. So some cool sources for you guys to uh, explore. Yes, and um, we'll make sure to link all of it too. Yes. Awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I definitely enjoyed all of the content that we've been looking into, all of the podcasts and books and media that um, we've been, you know, despite having two, we each have a toddler, <laughs> we try to <laughs> try to watch and listen to as much as possible. But it's great stuff to look into. Like I said, we'll link all of it. Um, right now we need to take a break. And when we get back, we will talk about some fun finds in 2023, some um new exciting changes that are happening in the field here in 2024 and so we'll see you when we get back did you know that we have a blog check out the women in archaeology website for a variety of blog posts as well as past episodes interested in supporting the podcast from the website you can check out our patreon account and learn about the different ways to help support the blog and podcast we can give you a cool sticker in return again thank you for listening Welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. Uh, in our first segment, we talked a little bit about some fun things we've been finding um, that were either tangentially related, related to archaeology, um, good archaeology books uh, by Schiffer, some more silly stuff in terms of romance novels with archaeologists in them, um, and so on. So fun first segment, and uh, now we're going to transition into archaeology in the news. And we're going to start with um, the archaeology magazines, and we'll link to this, what they listed as the top 10 discoveries of 2023. And there's some fun ones in here. Um, I mean, granted, for us, we're like, oh, wow, these are all pretty cool. But at the end of the day, there are a couple that are like, really? That's a top 10? Maybe it was a slow year in 2023. <laughs> Um, but there's still some very cool stuff. Um, so one of them is the, this is in um, Bagni, Italy, the sacred spring of San Cassiano de Bagni <laughs> with um, bronze statues and votives found in the sacred spring. That was by um, both the Romans and the Etruscans. Pretty cool stuff. I like a bronze statue. Um the next one, and this is cool, although Kirsten and I are a little, a little skeptical. This is considered the oldest wooden structure ever at um, 476,000 years old. Well, oldest, um, or oldest carpentry is yeah. what's in there. So it's, it's, it is a wooden structure, but it's specified as carpentry or qualified mm -hmm. um, in the article as there, there's like formed tools to form uh, basically a joint. Yes. And so it, it makes like this uh, a walkway into mm -hmm. a river. Um, and this is in the, uh, and I've 
pardon my my pronunciation, um, Colombo River in Zambia. And so, so the earliest other known quote unquote like wooden structure is in the UK at 11,000 years old. So this, I mean, obviously pushes back by hundreds of thousands of years. And so I guess what we were talking about is whether or not this would be necessarily really, I guess maybe it doesn't matter if we we're dividing between skillful carpentry and just carpentry or would it really be considered carpentry if you're just making a notch? Cause I always thought of carpentry more as like you're built in more of like a house or joint, like extreme joints as opposed to like these two sticks go together. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was kind of like the, the photo and we'll, you'll, we'll have a link in here. Yeah. It's somewhat reminiscent of like a log cabin joint, like the the stacked um, pieces on the ends, you know, mm-hmm. like Lincoln Log style. Yeah, but um, without actual much cribbing. Yeah. And so it's, and obviously this is probably like a collapsed structure. The interesting thing is they have tools present, which yeah, makes me cool. think that it's like cached, unfinished. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. So it's very interesting. Um, the wood is, some of the wood is petrified, which is just kind of blows my mind a little bit. Yeah. It's old enough to be petrified. Um, and the digging stick is very interesting looking for a couple of reasons. From my perspective, I don't know how many digging sticks um, you work with, uh, Emily, but this, it looks small, I'm going to say. Hmm. Um and it may just be like, I'm, I'm like, okay, it's a pointy thing. It looks more like a bone than a stick. But also, can you show me how that would attach or how it would be used? I'm just mm-hmm. puzzled. Like, they just have the, the pieces. The wedge, I totally get. Um, in the Pacific Northwest here, um, wedges are used for carpentry and for creating planks um, and building plank houses which can be sometimes quite massive Mm -hmm. um with the cedar uh that grows out here so it's it's they it's familiar looking tools to me which is really cool Mm -hmm. um, to see something that old but i'm kind of like also the pictures and it could just be the pictures that they have of the wood structure seem slightly suspect i'm more it's also a very short blurb and I bet if we got like the full, full, the full, full. Yeah. Cause it's like three paragraphs. And yeah. so I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, very cool. And some of it's, it, it it's, it would be homo heidelbergensis. Um, oh, yes. So I'm like, they were building structures. I mean, that would be awesome. Or is it more, inf- it's, maybe it's far more informal, but I mean, that's us going into the weeds. I know exactly. That we're like, hmm, could it really be? I don't know. But uh, other finds include uh, some cool swords in Israel um, and an extremely difficult to access cave. They're in a Roman style. Um, there are 13th century unorthodox paintings. Um, so extremely different from what people would expect at that time in uh, subterranean rooms found in the Sudan. Uh, there is... Um, uh, in the Templo Mayor um, in Mexico, uh, they found Aztecan uh, anthropomorphic figurines, shells, beads, coral within um, 
this major temple so that like within each layer and within within each new building of this temple um, in Mexico, they found like another iteration. So it's very cool, especially considering the location of uh, the the temple where they're getting all these shells and beads and stuff from far flung place, places. Um, in Russia, there was a Neolithic fortress found by that was created by hunter gatherers in 6000 BC. So it's quite large for that time period. In Peru, uh, they found that at Machu Picchu, this is very cool, um, that the people who worked and maintained Machu Picchu um, were found throughout the empire. So they're not from just that specific location, that they were from um, all areas of the Inca empire. So that's very cool from DNA analysis. That is pretty neat. And I've seen some theories in Machu Picchu before that kind of expected something like that. So it's it's neat to see that um, sort of confirmed. Oh, yeah. It's pretty cool. And I mean, Machu Picchu is such a unique location um, and structure to begin with. It is one of those that it's like, ooh, it's so mysterious. And in this case, it's like, it actually is pretty mysterious. <laughs> yeah, it's like build a city on the very top of a mountain that's hard to access and then like farm it. And you're like, mm, yeah, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> it's a cool place. Um, in Egypt, they it's thought to be the quote unquote world's oldest book. Um, and, and it's in terms of like book as a bound document. And so this um, were papyri that was turned into um, uh, like linens and whatnot for mummification. Um, They found that these documents had binding in them. So it would have been a bound document. It's of very exciting tax records. (laughs) Um, It is interesting because scrolls were used for a really long time. Oh yeah. On that. Well, so it's guess- cool that you have binding of any kind. Yeah. Um, in China, they're, uh, they found at a royal tomb, and this, this one makes me a little sad, but um, they found 400 sacrificed <laughs> animals. And they're talking like um, unique animals, not just everyday animals. We're talking, you know, everything from like a panda to, you know, a rabbit, like tons and tons of sacrificed animals dating between 206 and um, 206 BC to 9 AD. Um, So unique that they found this many sacrificed animals. It makes, I mean, I'm a bleeding heart. I can't help myself. I'm like, but the baby animals. Um, And then um, in Italy, they found a portion of Nero's theater um, and Nero being, uh, you know, the infamous, uh, ruler um, and demolishing parts of Rome and whatnot to, uh, you know, build his magnificent palace and stuff. They found part of his theater, which dates between 54 and 68 AD. So those are the uh, top 10 discoveries of 2023. Um, yeah. So, yeah, th- I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, granted, what we find in, you know, in archaeology is like, oh, this is so cool. We're like, ooh. DNA analysis and stable isotope analysis. Yeah, I'm like we, we like, don't often look at the the sparkly end of it. And honestly, yeah. <laughs> like I get excited about stuff that you're not not just not seeing, but exactly. You know, so our top ten like, and somebody else's top ten might be very different. <laughs> yes, we'll have to create a top ten for the end of 2024. Oh man, we'll just put people to sleep. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah. Um, 
on a more serious note, looking at um, archaeology in 2023, um, a major thing that kept popping up in the news um, are the uh, Gaza heritage sites being damaged or destroyed in the Israeli attacks. And now we are not condoning by any stretch, shape, or form the horrific actions by Hamas, nor are we condoning the horrific actions by the Israeli military. We are just very specifically talking about the destruction of cultural heritage sites, which is going against um, the uh, UNESCO and um, the Hague Convention. So far, they've documented approximately 100 damaged uh, or destroyed sites Mm -hmm. um, in Gaza, which feels pretty intense considering the size. Mm -hmm. Gaza. And they're pretty major sites, too. <clears throat> yeah, so that's uh, something to keep an eye out for. They haven't done a formal investigation or um, a formal, uh, what's... Analysis? Uh, an investigation. Report, basically. Yeah. Um, or analysis, yeah, just to go in and see the, you know, what all has really been destroyed to what extent. Mm -hmm. Um there's at least one muse major museum there that was also destroyed and everything mm -hmm. in it. The uh, Rafa Museum. Yeah, the Rafa Museum. Um, so and there's it, it's the accusation that Hamas were in these areas. Yeah, so it's one of those when it may, it, to some extent, for some folks, may make some logical sense. However, international law has prohibited this type of destruction for, mm -hmm. um, you know, nearly a century. Not not quite, but the, you know, since World War II minimum. Mm -hmm. um, what what's the date on the the Hague? Uh, uh, Nineteen fifty four. Yeah, that's what I'm like. I think it was post post World War II. Mm -hmm. So um, over half a century. And, and both Israel and Palestine um, agreed to safeguard landmarks in both locations. Yeah. And they are considered um, by this, um, uh, by international agreement, it is con heritage sites are considered civilian structures. Mm -hmm. So it is considered, a, it aligns itself with, attacking civilian homes um mm -hmm. and so something to to keep in mind as you you know watch the news or mm -hmm. you look into this is the impact that this will have for um the identity and heritage of the people who live there um and mm -hmm. being able to continue to practice uh cultural and religious practices um this was not you know it was, there was a major mosque destroyed as well as one of the mm -hmm. oldest churches. I think the third yeah. oldest church known to stand. Um, the also Great both. Omari Mosque and the Church of St. Porphyrius. Yes. Um, so um, while the loss of life is staggering, the ability to recover and to regain a sense of of people, a sense of self as a mm -hmm. people, uh, heritage sites are important for for that. So something mm -hmm. to to keep in mind. And this is something is we'll probably need to do like our own separate episode on this and and yes. 
we've done episodes in the past about um, destruction of cultural heritage as a war crime. And so we'll probably be revisiting this topic again. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll link back to uh, the previous episodes as well. If you want to learn more about um, heritage and uh, war um, and how they interlink as mm-hmm. far as the intent and the sort of result of that type of destruction. Mm-hmm. We definitely will. And, and we're not trying to be flippant in any way, shape or form. It is an extremely serious topic. And so if it feels a little bit of a um, extreme turn back to uh, more levity or different types of archeology, span we know it's, it's, it's a very serious topic. And um, we want to, we want to acknowledge it in this episode because we're talking about the news, but we also want to acknowledge that this deserves its own episode. So that's yes. something we'll be exploring further down exactly. the road. However, um, turning to exactly a dodecahedron, <laughs> which is um, so in the UK, um, a bunch of these unique shapes and you'll have to just, if you're not familiar, just look at a picture because it's hard to even describe. Um, in terms of a dodecahedron with little nubs, um, were recovered in the UK. They were Roman, and so as part during the um, Roman um, occupation of the UK and then sub-Roman um, period. And they have archaeologists are absolutely dumbfounded by what on earth these could be used for. Um, the fun thing is they have been 3D printed, and there are a few knitters out there that figure out how to make gloves. Um, and other types of knitted things using these. But archaeologists have said that like the use wear patterns and whatnot just don't fit for that. And also, I and I didn't know this. Romans didn't know how they didn't hadn't um discovered or, you know, created the concept of knitting yet. They didn't have knitting as a thing. They would have like I guess you would nail um like lines, um, like a grid on a board of nails and then kind of weave a knitted type pattern and then turn it into something. Interesting. I it, I can totally get that. Um, knitting is a, a, a unique kind of textile. I'm, I'm interested. So my I haven't, as much as I am both a knitter and I do research in textiles, I haven't combined those. (laughs) So I I don't actually know a whole lot about the history of knitting, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, but I mean, you know, there also wasn't the wheel, you know, so. They didn't have wheels? Well, they did eventually, but the invention of the wheel happened much later than my brain had ever really expected. Oh, I see what you mean. (laughs) So as far as like things that I'm like, oh, well, that of course was invented like way super long ago. And it's like, well, in some places, yes, but not really. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like, I just assumed like, don't, don't you need socks? (laughs) Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. Or, you know, in the Alps, you need gloves, right? Like you, Mm -hmm. I mean, leather gloves are great, but... But I guess they were making those using these, like, nail frames as opposed to knitting. But it's kind of cool that people figured out a way in modern times to use this dodecahedron to knit a glove. I I guess, I mean, you never know. Maybe it's it's just for... It's really interesting, especially, so 
looking at the dodecahedron, if you have a photo of it up, it's you just have to Google dodecahedron, um, which is a 12-sided shape, if anyone who's not a, um, you know. Dungeons yeah, and Dragons person. person. Yes, or D&D &D <laughs> player. Um, but each side has a hole in it, and the holes vary in size. And I think that was one of the things that, like, someone who knits, and it is a popular hobby amongst archaeologists in the U.S. at least, um, is like, huh, this is interesting. It has different sized holes. And these aren't, like, massive objects. They're, like, you can hold them in your hand. Yeah, they're, like, so palm-sized. They're, like huh, I wonder if these are like gauges for like finger holds because that mm -hmm. seems about right. Um, and the little knobs on the corners would be where you'd hook, you know, a, a, a yarn for like knitting in those um, frames that you see as like kids, you know, mm -hmm. in a pot holder or a tube really. Um is kind of what this comes out to. So I'm like, I can see the logic for sure. Um, and it's, it's definitely a fun way to experiment. I mean, that's great that somebody even thought like, well, let me give this a yeah. try. But it just, it does crack me up that at the end of the day, <laughs> archaeologists uh, finding them are just like ritualistic yeah. religious purposes. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we don't know. We're going to say religious. I'm like, it could be different sized candle holders. I don't know. <laughs> um but it's also interesting like they don't have it's not illustrated or discussed in um roman literature which True. to me says it's probably just an an everyday item because mm -hmm. people don't or, talk about like the stuff you do day in yeah. day out um and also they don't tend to talk about women fem like you know traditionally thought to be um objects that of uh, used by women and so I don't know. It just seems maybe it's not as ritualistic as we think, but who knows? We yeah. don't know. They don't know. But that's also kind of a fun thing. It's like hopefully more information will come about on this dodecahedron. <laughs> yes. And the fun part, <clears throat> excuse me, of this in for January 2024 is this was one of the first ones found in situ. Most of these had been traded and kind of passed around in the 19th century and had been found previously. So it was a unique situation where they're like, huh, this was like not just found in the ground, but also appears to be in situ in its Roman context. Mm -hmm. um, so that was fun. Oh, yeah. Um, It'll be good to find out more about that specific context, too. Like, yeah, yeah. But that's pretty cool. Well, that's a great way to end this segment. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about NAGPRA, Harvard, changes um, it, with the Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act, and we'll go from there. We'll be back. Looking for other archaeology podcasts? There's so many to choose from. Why not try Fantasies and bust myths surrounding ancient finds and people? Or learn about the study of animal bones and animals. There's also the great Go Dig a Hole and the Ark and Anth podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Women in Archaeology podcast and all of these fun archaeology podcasts that are available on iTunes, Spotify, all over the place. Thanks for listening.
Welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast. In the last segment, we talked about uh, different discoveries in 2023, different um, things that happened uh, in terms of what's been found in the field, as well as major issues um, in 2023 that will then, you know, fall into 2024 uh, and that we'll have to discuss for sure in other episodes. Um, On this segment, we're going to talk about... um, some major changes that have happened to the Native American Graves Protection and um, Repatriation Act, as well as some issues that have been happening with uh, indigenous groups and tribes um, and working with NAGPRA. And just to kick that off, um, and we'll link to these articles, uh, there has been an ongoing struggle for the tribes in Maine, specifically the Wabanaki, to reclaim ancestral remains from Harvard's Peabody Museum. And there's a whole ongoing issue with that where like the Harvard president doesn't think these skeletal remains should be in the collections, but the museum um, staff thinks it's not, there's not enough evidence to give the remains back to um, the Wabanaki, even though there is plenty of evidence. And then there's like things going back and forth that the Wabanaki don't want um, any analysis on the remains. And so like the museum will say they won't, but then scientists will come in and then take DNA samples. And like, there's all these issues back and forth. And it's thought that the museum has some 5,500 Native American individuals um, in the collections and they've been using uh, NAGPRA loopholes, um, especially the loophole that it says institutions have the final say on whether or not skeletal remains can and should be repatriated. And they use this loophole saying, well, there's not enough evidence that this should go to your specific tribe. Um, And so this has been an ongoing issue for not only just um, the Wabanaki, this has been an issue for a lot of tribes across the United States with the the Smithsonian, and with a lot of museums. Um, Kirsten, would you like to add? So Harvard, we're going to, we're going to take a step back, um, has a reputation for being a good medical school and so forth. There's, A long, very dark history about uh, medical schools and human remains writ large, generally, Um, Mm -hmm. separate from the archaeology program and the uh, human remains that are being housed uh, by the museum and not being returned according to NAGPRA. So two things to, to note. The first is there were some exceptions in the old, the original version of NAGPRA as written that if the tribe could not be identified, then they didn't have to be returned. Mm-hmm. So one of the new updates to the NAGPRA. And uh, this is very new. We're talking then the last month. This yeah. is very, very new changes um, and amendments to uh, NAGPRA. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to do a whole other episode outlining and really digging into these changes, but The most relevant one is there is a clause in the new version that does not allow for exclusions based off of not being able to identify the tribe um, or to identify it enough. Uh, So they, they take out a lot of the vagaries in the language of the original, uh, 
law as written mm -hmm. and really include more better definitions, harder uh, regulations and pushes museums and institute and institutions to really meet um, NAGPRA's requirements and guidelines and also creates harder dates. Mm -hmm. So NAGPRA was originally supposed to be completed in what, 20 years? And it's been it was passed in 1990. Yeah, it's been over 30 years. So that's where there were a lot of exclusions or things that like if it wasn't well defined, then you have things like Kennewick Man that occurred um, where there were um, that I mean, that's all I'm not going to get into that case. But long story I mean, short, yeah, <laughs> they had ended up someone took DNA samples. The tribes eventually consented to that basically because they felt like it was the only way, like begrudgingly. They they did not mm -hmm. want to do the DNA sampling and testing begrudgingly. And lo and behold, guess who fit the bill? The tribes who were saying all along that they were the descendants. So a lot of this just kind of pushes to the point that Indigenous peoples know more than we as a culture and as a country give them credit for. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of the, the heart of this. And Deb Holland has really done an amazing job on getting this kind of whipped into shape. So I'm okay. really excited to see how this goes over this next year because it was just passed and I think two December 6th or something like mm -hmm. it's been very recent and Deb Holland just in case she's the um the head of the I don't know the the exact title but for the Department of the Interior yeah so she's part of the cabinet she's the first Native American to be part of the um the cabinet so very cool um and she's been doing a lot she's been very busy which has been very cool to see oh my um gosh, yes so uh, yeah, the, we're, we'll see. I'm excited to see how this turns out for this particular case. I think it, it you know, definitely is making things kind of move forward finally. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, I mean, unfortunately, I do think there's an attitude in our field of archaeology. Like, what? But we, but the science, but the science. And it's like, they're human remains. Like, it's, it's not okay. And if the descendants, like, it'd be one thing if, let's say, it was, I'm I'm the the descendant um and I it's like well then I would like to have a say of what happens well same goes for anybody you know like it's if they're the descendants these are their ancestors they don't want them there there you go and then it's like but we want to do science on them well you can't and yeah. deal and yeah, also they've been there for a yeah. good I mean most of these individuals were collected in a period um during oh gosh like the whole american manifest destiny um the army collecting from burials i mean it's it's very shady and it's 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 one it's like well these have been in the collections for a hundred plus years um it's time for them to go yeah like <laughs> and, if again if not then that sucks for you <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's, it's annoying that then trying to use these loopholes saying, well, no, clearly you couldn't be the descendant because of X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, oh, wait, you are. <laughs> just kidding. Um, 
So I'm glad those loopholes are changed. And then one of the other major, major changes with NAGPRA is that um, all museums receiving any kind of federal funding are mandated to comply with NAGPRA or any collections, not just museums. And they have to get clear consent from um, descendant groups uh, for any item that's a funerary object human remains or item of cultural patrimony and that means something that's like incredibly important for the continuation of culture it's like it's it's an integral item and so any items that are on display they have that museum has to get permission from and so a good chunk of like southwestern um collections like uh pottery and that kind of thing are very likely from graves and so uh, these museums have five years to comply with this. Otherwise, they have to cover up. And so the Field Museum, um, the Natural History Museum, like all of these are putting up curtains or paper over their displays until they can comply. And it's just, it's so great seeing that, like, an acknowledgement that, yeah, probably our collections are probably pretty shady. <laughs> yeah. One, it's like oh, it's a good acknowledgement. And then two, that they're actually going through. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, those are very encouraging tidbits. Um, so, and also just the fact that they clarify that because the, mm-hmm. the, the items of cultural patrimony and grave objects have been part of the repatriation act for a while but in cases where like it was unclear who the descendants were, there was no prohibition on displays. So mm-hmm. it's really cool to have that explicit consent requirement mm-hmm. because it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, well, sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. So it's, it's good to see um, that go into effect and yeah it'll be neat so the next time you go into your nearby neighborhood museum um or ideally nagpra really i think i don't know how i'll have to i haven't read through the all of the new regulations Mm -hmm. um in detail but one of the exclusions that i found interesting is it, it really only NAGPRA only applies to institutions and museums that receive federal funding, much like Section 106 stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, small museums, um, there's a part one uh, in my hometown that had items from burials on display uh, and they were looking for federal funding. And I did a consult with them a number of years ago, over a decade ago, and was like, so, hey, these are all the changes you need to make if you plan to get federal funding, like all of this stuff needs to come down. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, yeah, I guess we're not going to get federal funding. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. So small museums like that, that decide to exclude themselves so they don't have to comply. I'm interested to see how this is going to pressure them yeah. um, and how like the tribes may you know, individually kind of lean in on those types of institutions. Cause I mean, they're, they're smaller. Yeah. So they need to, you know, do what they're 
patrons want and which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why it can be hard from their perspective to comply mm -hmm. but if they're getting a lot of lean from their area tribes or other like collaborative institutions to comply even if they don't receive federal funding um or if patrons are like look you know this is a thing that's in the news and it's important to our people mm -hmm. you know that it may push people to comply more or better <laughs> yeah better than they have but i'm i mean not just I, i'm very interested to see how really large institute institution i mean heck the peabody the oh yeah um, the smithsonian all of these because i mean a lot of them like you said they were supposed to do things within a very small time frame and at least now with the changes um this all has to be done within five years yeah and that's huge because most places don't have a nagpra consultant and so like it's work is just not being done. Um, but uh, as the article, and we'll link to it notes, it says, in addition to streamlining the repatriation process and requiring informed consent, the new regulations will also require museums and federal agencies to consult and update inventories of human remains and associated funeral objects within five years. That is um, a slim window. <laughs> that's a very small window because they a lot of tribes have been waiting 30 plus years for yeah. these inventories um, so that they can even check if there are any human remains, funeral objects or objects of cultural patrimony. So it's, 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 it, this is huge. It's a big change. It may not sound like huge news in archeology, span but in terms of how we repatriate and how um, objects, human remains and so on are treated, this is a big change. Yeah. And it's going to impact the field a lot. Yes. So it's going to make it like, <laughs> Those bioarchaeologists are going to be busy. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, keep an eye out on, if you're a bioarchaeologist looking for work, keep an eye on USA Jobs. <laughs> exactly. As NAGPRA, NAGPRA consultants. Um, so yeah. that's something that'll be of interest. And to circle back around from that, as far as how it affects institutions, um, Harvard. Mm -hmm. This is going to really, I think, affect this particular case we were talking about. But on a human side of things, um, more recent, more recent, a little bit of a, a, a caveat um, or, or semi related. So, Harvard has, as a medical school, a um, body donation program. So, if you pass and you would like to donate your body to science, um, to help train medical professionals, you can do that. And there are several places where that is possible, uh, one of which is Harvard. So the body donation program at Harvard was recently, the person who used, who ran it up till recently <laughs> has uh, been, I don't know if they were, they've been fully convicted or if- I think they're in the process of being convicted. Yeah, they're in, they're in the process, but they've been basically arrested and are- it, under trial for um, trade in human remains. So and like squishy bits, squishy bits. Uh, so it's interesting to me to see the stinginess from the archeological and human remains side, as well as the medical mm -hmm. um, side of things, but it's something like thousands if mm -hmm. not tens of thousands of body parts that were sold 
Yeah. Um, and you might be asking yourself to what? Apparently to artists who do weird, creepy things. Yes. Creepy artists. Um, so stray from those creepy artists who may be dealing in things like dolls made with human flesh or the other one was a blood artist that used human blood as ink and it's just stuff like that you're like that can't be have gotten from any sort of ethical source (laughs) it's just that doesn't happen so um also you know if that's something that you want to do with yourself when you pass or have a family member in that route be sure to research your body donation program and uh don't choose harvard don't choose harvard so hopefully um so there's a whole story done on this situation um by can you caitlin doherty caitlin doherty and she's incredible it is what's the name of the I I watch the YouTube channel. It's, it's like oh one gosh, of I, she's things. part of the Order of the Good Death, and um, I think it might be Ask a Mortician. Yes, something like that. So she does some really cool history, mm-hmm. um, uh, just general history that has to do with death often. But there's some really cool history tidbits that she's done, um on her show on her youtube channel Mm -hmm. she also does news like this um Mm -hmm. so so we'll put a link in there um to that so uh harvard in recent years especially with their like racism scandal also earlier i believe in 2023 and um, sexual harassment in their anthropology department and archaeology department there's a lot going on I guess, but also like it's turning out to be a pretty sketch institution, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately. Harvard keeps popping up in the news for anthropology, archaeology, and medical stuff. It's like, wow, oh, okay, okay, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. the silver lining of all of this is the NACPRA changes, and then hopefully we'll see, like, with the Harvard collections and with a lot of institutions and museums, that we'll see a much better process for repatriation and consultation in general. Yes. So that will be really fun to see and something to Mm -hmm. watch for. You may not see it in the news, but um, you may see tidbits like tribes finally getting their ancestors back. I think that kind of stuff will probably mm-hmm. pop up in the news occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be a, a brighter side for sure. Very, very, very much so. Yeah. And on that so. note, you know, that that closes the our news and interesting finds and whatnot episode but that is not to say that there aren't tons of unique and interesting stories in archaeology that have been found in 2023 and that going into 2024 there's other things we didn't even have time to touch on that we will have to talk (laughs) about at another time and so you know sometimes it's fun just in google to you know search archaeology and then click on the news button and just see what pops up because you'd be surprised just all the finds that are happening day in and day out so kirsten thank you for joining me and talking about all these fun finds always fun to come back and if anyone has any fun ideas or would like to join us for a discussion on your individual unique research or would like to discuss a fun or 
otherwise important topic, reach out. Yes, please. You can reach out to us in a variety of ways. We are no longer on Twitter, but you can find us um, on Instagram at women um, or uh, yeah, women archies. Um, you can find us uh, all over the place on our womeninarchaeology.com. That's our blog and podcast. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Blueberry, um, a lot of those different listening platforms. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We also have a professionals um, Facebook page, um, Women Archaeology Professionals, to uh, view posts um, on jobs and whatnot, as well as our episodes. Um, We are also on Mastodon, so look for us out there, contact us. um, Email us at womenarchaeology at gmail.com Correct. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So find us. It's been fun. (laughs) Until next time.